Hey everyone, Dr. Nick and Sonia here, and we just had a wonderful conversation with an author on Montessori system and how this system was created, why it was created, and how it can support children all the way from zero to 24. Yeah, and when we think of Montessori, we usually think that this is classroom only and, you know, whether or not to put your kid into Montessori program, but really this, we, we talked about this timeline of implementing these strategies at home uh, or whether or not you're in school, but these different stages that the kids or all of us go through up until the age of 24, she talked about, so these different things to know as a parent or as a child supporter um, on this journey. So there's definitely some things that we're going to have to undo in our homes or unlearn because we've had some practices that maybe isn't necessarily supporting our children's growth for intrinsic motivation. We learned a lot about that. So there's definitely some things that we're going to put into practice. And hopefully when you're listening to it, you're not feeling guilt, but instead empowerment on how you can support your kids and even yourself and your relationships in having better communication. Yeah. And so she's written a couple of books. Mm -hmm. her, her newest one will be, will be released soon. It's called The Montessori Baby. First one is Montessori, Montessori Toddler. Toddler. And so, yeah, she, she drops a ton of uh, helpful tools and hints and, and tips. And uh, so tune in and let us know what you think. Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Health Ignited. I'm Dr. Sonia here with Dr. Nick, and we are going to have an amazing chat today about a system that both of us have been really curious about since we have two little boys and we're always looking for new ways of parenting or new insights that we can incorporate into our household even if we're not um, incorporating them in their school world. Yeah absolutely you know our, our first experience in Montessori or I think direct experience was when we were teaching English in Taiwan mm -hmm. and we had uh, our group of students go into Montessori class and it was fascinating to watch them in this little environment, the small classroom setting of where they were kind of working through these little projects. Mm -hmm. And we found it fascinating because there wasn't a lot of like dialogue going on with the teacher. It was more like creating this form and then, and then watching the, the children move through the, the experience. So we just got to be sort of flies on the wall in that experience, right? Yeah, I just loved how peaceful yeah. it always was in that classroom. And then they come back to our classroom and they'd be like completely different children. So it, it did spark some curiosity on like, what is happening mm -hmm. in that classroom that can't happen in ours? So um, I'm really curious to dive in with Simone Davies. She is the author of The Montessori Toddler, which is a best-selling parenting book with over 200,000 copies in print since 2019. She's also the author of the Montessori Notebook, the popular blog and Instagram, where she gives tips, answers questions, and provides online workshops to parents around the world. She is an AMI, Association Montessori International Montessori teacher, and she and her family live in Amsterdam, where she runs parent-child classes at the Jacaranda Tree Montessori School. So welcome, Simone. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you both so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about all things Montessori and just hearing that story about the children in Taiwan. It's so, so fascinating how they can be so self-directed and engaged with their learning because of this prepared environment, which I'm sure we'll get to talk about a little bit more as we have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe we can start off with your story a little bit about what got you interested in the Montessori system and what attracted you to teaching it as well. Yeah, so what happens with a lot of Montessori educators is we find it through our own children. So when my son was very small and we were starting to look for preschools for him, um, we knew a little bit about Montessori and went to a preschool. This, he's now 20. So this was like 19 years ago and we were living in Australia at the time. And we walked in and like everything was child-sized. Like you said, it was small and attractive. And what really touched me actually the most was the um, guide. We call them not a teacher, but a guide um, who was so respectful to us and also to the children. She just spoke in this really calm way. She wasn't really formally dressed. She was just really accessible and, um, and open and everything on the shelves looked so attractive that I wanted to go and play with that too and explore it and what was it all about. And then you actually realize that 
yes, the children are doing things for themselves, but actually there's a really rich curriculum. Like they're doing amazing, there's possibilities for amazing things. And the children can choose what they'd like to be most interested in today and focus on that. They can work in pairs. They can work by themselves. There's actually a lot of community, like how to look after other people. So that really attracted me. And I signed up for a parent-child program with my son. So he was 18 months at the time. And we started going to those classes until preschool. And I started learning so much about, oh, how I can apply this at home as well. This is really useful. So it wasn't long before I was doing my Montessori training. I worked at that um, parent-child program until we moved to Amsterdam. And so then I thought, well, there's none here. I need to start one here as well. So um, I've been doing Montessori for over 15 years, constantly learning. And I just love it. I love working with the children. My favorite age is like under three. <laughs> and um, just because they're so open to the world. And I guess I'm just in love with the approach because it's so um, respectful to other humans and little people, as well as the environment and, you know, the greater society. I love that. If, if you could give us a little bit of history of Montessori too, I think that would be helpful for the listeners of what the, the foundation of it is. Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Montessori herself, she was born in the late 1800s and she was one of the first uh, doctors in Italy or female women doctors um, in Italy. And what was interesting about that is that she was a scientist. You know, she was looking at children through the lens of a scientific observation, not coming with a preconceived idea of what children should do. And she moved into education when she saw, you know, some of the most difficult children not being you know, able to look after themselves. They were picking up crumbs off the ground because they were getting lack of stimulation and they was thought that they were uneducated. You know, these are people, children who now you'd call, you know, with special needs children. And they were picking crumbs off the ground because they had no stimulation. So she started teaching them with concrete materials and saw them very capably. And the way that she respectfully, them, these children started doing really well in state exams. She was asked to, you know, go into the slums of uh, Rome and work with children there and set up a classroom, which became very famous. People would come and look and see how these children were doing it. And she basically kept looking at the children, seeing what they were capable of and adjusting the environment to meet those needs. Like she was the first to have child sized furniture in a classroom. And now if you go into a preschool anywhere in the world, you know, you usually find a chair that, you know, a three or four year old can get on and off by themselves. And she was really one of the first people to, to look at that. I mean, there's also a beautiful story about some inspectors who came to see this school in Rome and she actually, the school was closed for the day and the children let the inspectors in and they opened up the cupboards where all the materials were and showed them how it all worked. And so Dr. Montessori thought, well, if the children can do that when I'm not here, why am I always hiding it in the cupboard? You know, that's what we often do is we only get out the activities when we're ready. And Instead, she started laying out the materials so the children could choose them whenever they liked. Um, so it's such a rich scientific-based philosophy. And a lot of what she wrote about is now being proved by brain science. For example, there's um, she calls the planes of development, where she talks about children from zero to six having similar characteristics, six to 12-year-olds, 12 to 18, and 18 to 24. And you're like, just a minute, doesn't childhood end around 18? And she actually... <laughs> Span, said the childhood span was from zero to 24. And now brain science is showing that the prefrontal cortex where all our decision-making is actually still, you know, being finalized in our early twenties, which is why we're often, you know, a little bit maybe crazy in our, you know, university years and things <laughs> like that's like what I like yeah. to blame anyway, but she was ahead of her time, you know, so it wasn't actually, you couldn't see that by a brain scan then, but now science is backing up a lot of what she actually observed. Hmm. That's incredible. I mean, we see it in our own kids. If, if our kids are in, you know, if they don't clean up their space, if, you know, the, whether it be the clothes or the toys, they're just, there's a different energy about, about the, the kids. There's a different energy in the family. And there's definitely be something to be said about having things, you know, I guess, even in your home laid out in a certain way or organized in a certain way that can help with the, the learning process. Um, so if, if you could kind of walk us through a Montessori classroom, because you, you mentioned uh, just, you know, the child size, you know, chairs and all that. And I think it's fascinating to think that that all came from, from her study way back when, because the part of, I guess, a lot of Montessori has found its way into the public educational system to some degree. But uh, if you could sort of paint the picture of what a Montessori classroom would look like, that would be, that'd be great. 
Yeah. So I guess a classroom usually typically, let's talk about a preschool age. So that actually is a mixed age classroom for three to six-year-olds. So you have the older children who already know what's going on in the classroom modeling for the younger children, which is great. So on the first year, a first day of school each year, there's already the five and six-year-olds can get on with what they were doing and the three and four-year-olds are coming in. So you can already imagine that things are much more relaxed than having everyone at three years old, you know, who's running around. It balances out the classroom a lot. So you walk in and you have all of these materials on the shelf that you can choose from and each scaffolds on the next. So I always give the example of my son who was doing rugby training and one week they're doing a bit of tackling and the next week they're doing a bit of sprinting and nothing really built on each other. You know, skills are best when you build one step onto the next. So these beautiful materials, each scaffolds onto the next. So say there's a math area and you'll start with learning first well, actually, you learn about numbers in so many different ways. Even before you're actually interested in numbers, you can be counting the groceries as you're taking them out. But you're scaffolding these skills so that they start with like a one, it's a little gold bead, and then there's 10 of them in a, in a string, and that's 10. And then there's 10 of those, and that makes 100. And then on top, 10 of those on top of each other makes 1,000. And so you've got this cube of 1,000, and the children can concretely, visibly see this is 1,000, and this is one. And then they start to like not only learn these numbers um, they can write the numbers from one to a hundred. They've got sandpaper numbers where they're feeling and touching and seeing how that works. And then they all of a sudden can go and do mathematics like, um, 5,320. And so they go and get five of the thousand blocks and, 300 they'll go and get 300 of the others and the other number 22 of the 10 blocks and then they might add that to a thousand and twenty and so they go and get one thousand block and another 20 and then they can say oh, look I've got six thousands now and I've got three hundreds and I've got oh 40 you know and they can actually do this mathematical sum at the age of four or five because it's concretely in their hands and you think about how we learn maths where it's all abstract on a piece of paper mm-hmm. so a lot of the materials just make sense so one there's concrete materials two there's lots of learning areas we have language area, math area, things about the world. You know, they're doing geography, like with these beautiful puzzle maps of continents around the world, learning about other cultures, because a three to six-year-old starts to get interested not only in their own um, country, but also what's outside the other world. They do botany, different leaf, leaf shapes. And Dr. Montessori also realized the children have the absorbent mind. So you're giving them really the correct vocabulary for these things. So it's not just like a puzzle of a horse, but they're actually learning all of the parts of the horse. And then they can make a little booklet and start to label them. So then there's language, you know, as part of the puzzle. Um, and then you have practical life activities in a Montessori classroom, which is actually like activities of daily life. You'll have children actually making their own snacks. Um, you'll have children, you know, mopping the floor where they've made a spill. Um, you'll have children watering the plants. And it's not because they have to do it. It's because they want to do it. They love movement. There's this executive functioning is built um, being able to follow a sequence. So it's actually great for their executive functioning skills and they're learning to care about their environment, which is such an important part of, you know, taking care of not only ourselves, but others and our environment. Um, And then I just love how when you walk into the classroom, you can choose wherever you would like to start. So sometimes you might feel, I'm just feeling a little low energy. So I'll go and sit in the book corner and I'll read a, a little book for a while until I feel like more energy. Or I might just actually observe those older children who are working together on that big um, map of the world. And you know, you're, when you're observing, you're also learning, right? And then some people will say, oh, isn't it also a waste for older children to be teaching younger children? Like they're not doing their own work. You're like, you know yourself, if you can explain something to somebody else, then you're consolidating your own learning. It's actually a really rich part of the practice is the older children being able to help the younger children. So I guess that hopefully gives you a little bit of a picture about what a Montessori classroom would look like. Oh, and I forgot one thing is the guide (laughs) is like, where's the teacher in all this? And she's just there supporting the children. She's giving lessons one-on-one or in small groups where the children are up to. So you never have tests in a Montessori classroom because um, the teacher's always observing and making notes of what activities the children have mastered. So she knows where you're up to, or he knows where they're up to in their learning. Well, it sounds like it builds community for the children, too. As you were saying, the older children are there really helping to support the younger kids, and the younger kids are also serving, in some ways, the older kids. So it's it's already in that young age of learning that in order to move forward, we do need to work together, and that community is so important. So I really love that piece. It feels very holistic in a sense where it's stimulating different parts of us and different parts of our brain, different senses and all of that. So it's really gearing towards all children because all children learn so differently. 
And so our youngest was very tactile. So what his preschool teacher would do is as soon as he would walk in, she would have clay ready for him. And he would go straight to that unit. And that would really calm his nervous system because he didn't want to leave us. He was a little bit harder to leave at the preschool, whereas our oldest just turned around and said goodbye Mm -hmm. the first day. And he's a bit more in the mind and loves math and building. So right away, he would go to that building station. So I really saw that it really supported their individuality within the collective. So that's a really beautiful thing to see in a Montessori environment. Yeah, I love that you touched on that children can learn in different ways in that environment. So if you've got it, some people say oh, it must only be for children who can sit really still, because if it's all quiet in there, you know, but actually, it's great also for children who can't sit still, because once they've finished their activity, they can move around the classroom, they can go and watch somebody else, you know, the teacher will direct them if they're disturbing somebody else, but they're actually also learning to manage their body, because sometimes the monastery classrooms aren't so big, and they have to be able to work around other piece, another person's mat, because they often roll out a mat and work on the floor and stretch out so they can do things around there and so you're learning again about being in community with others um and it's great for oral learners um, visual learners or tactile learners and children who need to move and process very holistic as you say yeah i love that i think in this direction um it'd be great if you could maybe bust some myths around montessori so one of the misconceptions that we had or i had was that montessori is very strict so it's very, it's so regimented that's not going to give them freedom to be themselves as children. And that was a myth or like a, a misconception, a, a belief that I had that I don't even know, actually know where I even got that. I think it was from talking to uh, one of my sister-in-laws who had kids older than me. So I really went to her for advice on these things. And that was her belief. So it got passed down to me. But then when I started to see our friend and her children go through the Montessori process, I was like, this is very different than what I thought. And then even seeing our kids go through preschool, even though theirs was a mix of Montessori and Reggio Emilio, it was a very different thing. So I'd love for you to maybe bust any myths that you know of or um, preconceptions. Well, that's definitely something I hear all the time is that children are only allowed to do one thing with the material. So therefore it's not creative at all. And that's where you get like this strict thing that the teacher, you know, there's limits and all these kind of things. And then you get on the other hand, people who say, oh, that's where children could do whatever they like. And there's like no limits. So it, and actually I, we do need to explain that Montessori comes back very much somewhere in the middle. We call it freedom within limits or freedom with responsibility. So that with every freedom, you have a responsibility. So for example, children can choose anything in the classroom as long as someone else isn't playing with it and as long as they return it when it's finished so that it's ready for the next person. So that's actually already building a lot of responsibility because it's not just play with whatever I like and I just leave it there. And it's not um, – and different – Montessori teachers will um, interpret Montessori in different ways. So there are some Montessori teachers who are like, this is a pink towel and you can only use it for this. But there's other Montessori teachers who allow it as long as there's concentration or collaboration in a constructive way. If it's disturbing the themselves, the environment or the materials, then we usually step in to stop it. But I think that's the same with you in your own homes. Like you're going to allow them to paint and have a great time with paint until they're like painting on the walls. Then you know when you have to step in. And it's the same with Montessori. It's like they get a lot of freedom and then there's also calm and clear limits. And what I love about Montessori teachers is they set these limits in a calm and clear way. It's not like saying you're a naughty kid. It's just like I can't let you, you know, use the materials in a way that's damaging them. Um, If you'd like to climb, let's go and climb out here if they're climbing on something that they're not allowed to climb on. So that's kind of how I see Montessori anyway, is there's a lot of freedom. We try and allow the concentration as much as possible, but we will step in with a limit when it's needed. That's a great way Um, of describing um, it because, you know, we almost, I had a little bit of perspective of that when we were in Taiwan, just, and it was part of the teacher's energy (laughs) She was very like stoic, sort of strictish kind of woman. She didn't see a lot of smiles coming from uh, out of uh, the experience with her interaction with the kids. And so it, it felt a little like, like they were, I, I just remember as this, this visual of them, I think unpacking this sort of play set for, for food. And they, they had to organize things all in the right lines and orders and things like that. Um, and so I had this interesting experience of like that. That seems kind of like controlled. But at the same time, the kids seem very engaged. And it was, it was so it was really interesting to be observant to that. But like to your point, every teacher probably has a slightly different style within that. Because I didn't, in that experience, I didn't see a lot of room for movement. Uh, it seemed very structured in that particular exercise that I remember. 
Yeah, there is a lot of movement in every Montessori activity. So because you take the activity and you bring it over to your work mat and you bring it back and you play lots of memory games where you'll put half the activity on that side of the room, the other half on this, and you have to remember what you're going for. When you're doing practical life activities, you need to go and get water and control them. And again, as you say, it can just be interpreted in different ways. But I also like to say you could do Montessori without any of the materials. Um, because for me, Montessori is mostly connection with the child. Um, so it does make me a little sad if you see this very, you know, straight-faced um, Montessori teacher sometimes because I really think that we show children love of learning when we love learning and love being with the child. Then they're, like, fascinated to, oh, what's she showing us now? You know, where this link to the environment. So, like, I can be out in a in a bush and get excited about being out in the bush. And then the children want to learn, what is this cone? Is that the same cone as we saw last time? You know, like, so they're just fascinated by learning and you don't have to prepare anything. Yeah. And we feel like our, our youngest has a teacher like that right now. Mm -hmm. um, she's an amazing. Uh, he, she was, she was his teacher for kindergarten now for grade one. They literally go and spend hours in the forest near the school. And it's, it's all these creative things that we get to see that they're doing. And, and so I, I guess in saying that, you know, definitely there's, there's versatility within the teacher, there, there's versatility in the environments. And I love that, um, yeah, that there's just, you know, it can be so simple, yet you can apply these same, same principles in, in, you know, whatever environment you're in. Um, Including the home, right? So like, yeah. if you well, can't go to Montessori school. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about like, yeah, bringing that kind of philosophy in, into the home. Well, I just love creating opportunities for curiosity with children because I think school has so dampened the will to, for children to learn. Like it, as soon as we start rote learning things or making every child learn the same thing on the same day, it just starts to kill their curiosity because everyone learns, as we said, in different ways. Um, so in the home environment, I just love keeping learning. Like if they're learning everywhere. They're learning from conversations with us. They're learning from their hands-on experiences, particularly the child between zero and six. They're sensorial learners, so they're learning through every way of taking things in some children are going to be very you know put things in their mouth they're going to taste things some children are going to smell some people are going to hear some people are going to feel but you know definitely feeling giving them opportunities where they've got real things in their hands so that's why we don't really see the need for an ipad or anything like that because actually better for the child to even read a book where they're tracing a letter um, than actually than a screen so it's giving them rich experiences with their hands um, curiosity can be developed by us having wonder, like, I wonder why that bird has got that twee in their mouth. Hmm. And then the child might go, I think I saw in that book that we were reading about building a nest. Maybe they're building a nest and you can have like a conversation. You could just spark. Maybe nothing happens. Maybe they're not interested in talking about that right now, but we can be like, like a link, like I said before, with that and whatever's in front of us. Um, we can also give moments for silence where, you know, just sitting together, and then they might just pop, an idea might pop in their head and they make a connection. <gasps> you know, I was just thinking that the thing we saw then is like the thing we saw then. And, you know, they make the connections when there's actually silence. And we often fill our days with so much activity. And, you know, they're all great. Like I'd love to do yoga with my kids and karate with my kids and early reading lessons, everything. There's too much on offer. But if we actually keep things really simple, then we can keep them, you know, give them opportunities for boredom because then often creativity comes that way. And then I think my favorite thing to do with children at home is getting them involved in the kitchen. They love like helping my children. I think Emma's eight months old. I've got some photos of her helping with baking and Oliver was under two. I had there's 16 months between them and I'd measured out all the ingredients. So it didn't really matter, you know, how many scoops. I just put a little bit of um, flour into a scoop here and said, oh, but you had this one. And Emma had the spoon and she kind of did a mix. And, you know, we're baking cookies together and they're building these skills. They feel involved um, instead of, oh, I want to bake some cookies. So I'll put the TV on while so that they keep quiet and I make these cookies. And it doesn't matter what the cookies look like. If I, if I really do care what the cookies look like, I, I might leave just a little bit of dough aside and roll them out at their nap time and cook some cookies that, then, but it's really fine. So it's about involving them, not being so worried about the product and more enjoying the process. And um, going outside with children, I think provides a lot of opportunity for wonder and curiosity as well. Yeah, it seems like that's the foundation, right? It's like building in that curiosity for them so that they question 
their environment. They question everything instead of just um, like what I did was take somebody else's belief and hold on to that and then create my own opinion. But it teaches them that skill of just questioning and seeing the world from different multiple lenses so that they can absorb it in a different way and make their own um, assumptions or beliefs around that. So I love that, that it's instilling that from day one. What I would love for you to do is um, kind of maybe differentiate zero to six, six to 12, and like you were saying, 12 to 18, what are some like different strategies of Montessori that one could use at home from zero to six and then so on? Okay, so Montessori said that it was like a series of rebirths. And if you do get a six, seven-year-old, you'd be like, the things that used to work before just don't work anymore. Like they're questioning everything that we said was true. And it's basically because the zero to six child is in what Dr. Montessori called the absorbent mind. So they pick things up like a sponge. And in the first half of that plane from zero to three to um, they're doing it with an unconscious absorbent mind. It's why you don't actually remember much under the age of three, because you're passively picking things up. And then between three to six, you start to want to crystallize everything you learned so you might actually point to things ask for the names why is it called that the why 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 start right and then they get to six to twelve and they want to have a real good reason like so if you don't want them to have ice cream after school or you don't want them to eat ice cream at all you need to it's fine you just need to tell them the reasons so the reason that you can't have an ice cream is we had an ice cream yesterday um we're having a big um, dinner tonight and I've baked something after dinner. Um, I don't know, give them uh, three good reasons and they won't be necessarily happy about it, but they will, their mental need, like so where a child in the first plane is developing independence in functional independence, wanting to dress themselves and do these things. The child from six to 12 wants mental independence. They want to be able to think for themselves and understand the you know, the black and white, um, not the black and white, the gray in between. Also, they're fascinated by moral um, questions. So, for example, we um, at our house um, don't watch TV and that family is allowed to watch TV. Why is that? And again, you don't have to say change the way you do things. You just have to have a good reason why you believe the things you believe. And that can um, be attributed to religion or all those kind of things as well. Um, and then from 12 to 18, they're wanting social independence. So they're actually the least hardworking at that age. And that's when academics gets most like intense. When you go off to high school, you're meant to be studying more, right? And actually, Dr. Montessori noticed between 12 to 15, particularly, there's so much hormonal instability going on, very much like a toddler. They actually become like a, a social newborn. And so she actually recommended an Erdkinder, which is like a farm school where children actually would go and work together, live in a community, work the land, understand geography this way, understand their economics because they go and sell the goods um, uh, that they um, may grow on the farm. They can have their own business. They can have a hotel where families can come stay that earns money. If they don't make enough money, they literally can't buy the food. So they're learning economic independence as well, which is really important for them. And then in the 18 to 24 year olds, they're starting to find their place in the world. So it's gone from the zero to six child who's happy in their family and their small school environment. Then the six to 12 child starts to make the um, link to the bigger world. So they have their school environment, but also they start to do projects in society. They go out and they find out information from people who work in their community. And then the 12 to 18 child wants to the globe, you know, it's a very global outlook. They're wanting to change the world and come up with lots of interesting solutions to things. And then the 18 to, tw um, to 24 is when they're actually trying trying to find out their meaning and purpose in life. Um, and so you might find that they want to study or volunteer or go to the Peace Corps and do lots of things in those years. They might do some volunteer work, give back um, as they grapple with that. And your role as a parent changes in all of those times accordingly. So in zero to six, it's going to be much more hands-on. In six to 12, it's much more mental. And then 12 to 18, you really just have to be around for when they need you, when they're emotionally, to be their emotional support. And then the 18 to 24, you become a bit of a friend at a distance. They definitely, you don't see so much of them at that age. Hmm. Wow. I love that breakdown. I think mm -hmm. that was really helpful. Um, one of the things that, that came up in, in just preparing for today was regarding praise. And, and it kind of, you know, we're in a world where, you know, everyone gets a prize for participating or, you know, there's maybe an over embellishment of, of, you know, job well done. What's the position from a Montessori perspective on, on praise and, and how to best utilize this as a tool for learning? 
Yeah, so in the Montessori approach, rather than using praise, we often do acknowledgement instead or encouragement. Um, so it's, again, more about the process than the product. And not everyone needs to get a prize. And we don't, the praise that I hear the most is like, good girl, good boy, good job all the time. And it actually, there's a really great article by Alfie Cohn that's five reasons to stop saying good job. And they've actually shown that like it actually decreases children's motivation because they're waiting for the good job to actually do it. And um, if you give them a prize, which might even just be a sticker. Like if you, you know, get dressed or if you pee on the potty, then you get a sticker. Then like as every time they need to do something, you need to be rewarding them. They're just looking externally and we call it in- extrinsic motivation as opposed to building the intrinsic motivation. So what we do instead, actually, I really like the how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk book because it says like there's three different ways you can go about it instead. You can like describe what they're doing. Oh, look, you made some big circles on the thing. This one's green and this one's blue. You don't need to say oh, it's such a beautiful painting. You can just describe what they did and you can let the child or would you like to tell me about your painting? Depending on the age of the child. And then they can self-evaluate to see what they liked, what they'd like to improve. Because if you just say good job, you're basically stopping them to go any further. Okay, well, that's done, you know where they might go, you know, I'm going to add something else because it's not quite finished yet. And that's what we want them to keep doing is to keep growing and keep challenging themselves. Um, So you can describe it. You can sum it up with a word like, oh, you got your backpack all ready for preschool. Now that's what I call being independent, you know, or you could just describe how it makes you feel. I really like, really appreciate you putting all of the dishes away from in the from the dishwasher it means now I've got more time to sit with you and read a book so you can just describe how you feel and this is all just done in a way that you would speak with an adult so it's basically just respect so I think if you would say it to your partner then you can say it to your child if you would you say oh good job you unloaded the dishwasher to your partner probably not they probably find it quite patronizing um so we just try and and what's really nice as well is just about encouraging the effort and I also describe it a bit like a, a boss who kind of just says, oh, thanks for the report. And they don't really kind of, or good job, you finished it. Or the boss who kind of gives you detail, like says, oh, I really like how in the introduction you um, discuss this part of our uh, program, um, then you specify this and at the end you do this. And the only thing I really would be looking for is a bit more instruction on this, this, this. You'd be like, oh, that's really clear. Now I know what I need to make this report better and even in future, how I can make future reports better as opposed to just good job. You're not even clear. Did you do it well? What needs mm-hmm. to be improved? Or yeah, did it meet the assignment? It's funny. It has to be trained though, right? Like it's like, it's almost, it's just habitual to go, well, wow, think, that was great. <laughs> right. And I think there's also lots of um, contradictory information. You yeah. know, my sister being a child psychologist, she's always talking about the reward system. So when I would go to her to ask for some advice on, you know, like behaviors or how do I potty train, right? So I used the sticker system with my oldest one and then it worked. And it's interesting because now our oldest one is almost 10 and he's creating his own reward system without really even talking mm-hmm. to us about it. Like one day in the car, he's like, I think, you know, that I'm doing well in this pro- fast forward program at school and Soren's doing well. You guys should give us something for that. And I just looked at him like, what? <laughs> I'm sure it was because of your toileting but you know just little things like that can build up when they're used to getting like a a little sticker or something at the end yeah Mm -hmm. because they've they've created their own star system too so in the morning they get up they put their clothes on they brush their teeth they come downstairs like we should get three stars for today and uh, like for doing just you know the things that basic human things that you need to do to get ready for the day so how do you undo Mm. if a parent has already gone down that track of using praise or reward or stickers for motivation how do we shift that so we can bring in more of that intrinsic motivation yeah I think you can just say oh I've been reading about this how it's so important for children to build up your own self you know intrinsic motivation and the ways that you do this is for me to tell you like what I see and then you to see how it feels and I know it's going to feel strange at first because like we used to do those other things and instead I'm curious how it feels and so I've got this list and I'm going to I've stuck it on my cupboard and I'm going all the things I used to say I'm now going to say these instead and you know if you could just talk them through your process like that if they're older children and then younger children won't even notice you know they might just look to you and then you just change what you used to say instead of saying good job you might say oh you put all the balls back in the box um and so you just change how you are and it's not also people think oh it's not really like you sound really disinterested it is if you do it you put all the balls back in the box but you're showing excitement for what they've done so in one of the workshops that i give um uh, it's based on the positive discipline books do you know those by jane nelson which are also brilliant 
Um, and she has basically like you could say, good job. Um, you got all A's. And then you can say, oh, you worked really hard. And you kind of can do the situation in two different ways. And you say, oh, yeah, it's actually like, oh, I'm so proud of you or you look so proud of yourself. You know, it's just two different ways to approach the same situation. And it's just us having the knowledge of what we could say instead. And I want to reassure parents, like, I didn't know how to do this. I was raised in a very traditional way. And I'm, you know, very happy with how my parents raised me, but they raised me with the information they knew. And now we're learning new information. And um, when I speak with my kids about it, they they kind of get it. They, they I mean, they're 20 and 19. And they say, yeah, it's it's not your responsibility to make us happy. Um, you know, we're learning to, of course, you met our needs, um, but it's also, you also were there when we were having hard days as well, because otherwise children start to think it's only when they're doing a good job that we love them. And that's not the message we want to get through them. We want them to know actually at their worst, we love them at their worst, because that's when you feel really secure and attached. Does that give some help? It does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to, after this call, go and rip their chart from the fridge that has stars of you. Oh, actually, but we try and do it with them. So you could say like, yeah. what do you think we need to change? And so then you could get them to take it down. Mm-hmm. It's going to be different than the, because that's the other part is that we're so used to being adult centric. It's like, we're setting the rules and we're making it happen. And people come to my workshop and I feel really sorry for the children because like the next day, everything's going to change in their house <laughs> instead of, oh, I heard about this thing. How could we change mm-hmm. it? Yeah, Yeah, we've incorporated family meetings on Sundays. And I find that is really supportive to create change. And especially with our oldest, like you were saying, from six to 12, he he needs to know the why. And our youngest now is seven, too. So he's also kind of there. And so if we explain the why behind everything, he feels more involved Mm -hmm. and respected, which is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So the other thing that I was, um, if, sorry, you caught me off guard. And if Sonia wrote down some questions that she wanted to ask. I wrote down some books. Um, so you wrote a book called The Montessori Toddler, and now you have another book. So I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit and that breakdown. Yeah, so it comes out next week already. It's called The Montessori Baby, and where the Montessori toddler went from sorry, excuse me, (laughs) where the Montessori toddler went from one year old to three years old. This talks about how you can actually apply Montessori principles from conception right through the first year for the first 12 months. And I love that because um, the reason we wrote the book is that once I wrote The Montessori Toddler, everyone was like, I wish I had known about this earlier. And there is so much you can already do with a baby. And again, it's not about buying like all those beautiful wooden toys that you see on Instagram. It's about how you handle the baby, how you start with the conversations from birth when you just hold them out in front of you and you poke your tongue out and then they poke at their tongue. You really look, they really try and poke their tongue out back. And then you can do it again and you're having a conversation because you're learning to take turns, you know, or when you're going to pick up a child instead of, oh, I'm going to change your nappy and you're not even really, one, we often just pick them up, but two, I'm going to pick you up. We're going to change your nappy and just pause and the baby might start to raise their arms or a very newborn baby can like lift their head and you're almost getting permission. Or you'll notice if they turn their head away, they're not quite ready. Okay, well, let me know when you're ready, you know, or sometimes they're not ready. And then how I'm gently, yeah, you really don't want to have your nappy changed and I'm picking you up and, and you can kind of sports cast them through how I'm using gentle hands through that whole process. Um, we love also observing children, which we haven't really spoken about, but the way that Dr. Montessori made a lot of her findings was through observation of children. And so with an older child, you might be writing down how the fine motor skills that they already have. So what they're already developing and what they could be, could challenge them, gross motor movements, social development, cognitive development, all these different things. And with a baby, you're looking at their movements, their grasp, the communication sounds they're making because communication, yes, they're not saying words, but they've got you know, communication through their body language, as well as the sounds that they're making and repeating. Um, And even bubbles, the eyes contact can make communication. Um, You can make observations about babies sleeping. So how they fall asleep, how they wake up, the movements they make when they're sleeping. So in our Montessori training, we did 250 hours of of observation before we even worked with children. And 50 of those hours are in the first eight weeks. And people would say, but the baby's not doing anything. And we're like, honestly, like now here, these are the things you can observe and see how much your baby's already taking in. And also it's to kind of take away this at one, the one point with babies, 
we thought they couldn't do anything. And then we found out that their brain's developing so much in the first three years that there's now so many baby gadgets and toys thrown at you, you need to buy everything. And instead, we're just wanting to take it back to the baby. What's the baby showing you what they want to do right now? And it's so much simpler. You don't need to buy so many things. You don't um, need to have a nursery that looks like it's from Pinterest. It's just what does the baby need right now? And taking things back to kind of simplicity, connection, respect, and love. Mm. Yeah, it's such a powerful message. And, you know, I it's fun watching you speak about this because you just, you light up when you're speaking about, you know, these principles and it's really fun. You know, it's really someone who's really put in, put this into practice and made this your lifestyle and, you know, brought it into how you conversate with your kids and, and with those that you teach. It's, it's really, it's really inspiring to see, um, yeah, someone really embody the, the work that they're doing. So uh, we, we, we love this conversation. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if there's, what would you, what would you recommend? Like what's the easiest way for, you know, parents or maybe there's teachers listening in to just slowly start to incorporate this into their lifestyle. You gave some great tips on, you know, just for us, you know, and to, to remove or, or dismantle uh, the reward system. But are there, are there other things that you can think of that, that would be helpful for, for parents and teachers to, to bring into the, the family dynamic or teaching classroom to, to help support this process? So I think in the physical environment, we talk about the prepared environment as being like the second teacher. So the reason the Montessori classroom works so well is we've put so much care into how it's prepared so that the materials are engaging. And so I think that when you walk into many modern homes, there's too much stuff. So the kids don't know what to play with or it's all shoved in a cupboard and they can't see what's available. And the things that they're interested in are tucked in the back corner and they can't find them so easily. Or you need to say, oh, I will get that, but I'm busy right now. And instead, if we just took some time to have a big box in the corner of your living room and put everything in there and then just pull out like six things per child of what they're really interested in right now. And for a toddler, it might be a puzzle. And for a seven or eight-year-old, it might be a Lego set. But like, you know, so there's seven things that they could play with. And then you'll see that they actually get more creative with those things because less, definitely less is more. And then when you rotate the things, I noticed that like I thought I'd just do it when my kids were really small, but I noticed that also right through primary school, that's elementary for you, um, they just would never play with anything where it was a put out of sight. But when I just laid things out attractively in a basket or a tray or, you know, one Lego set here and here's a magnet tile set here, um, here's a wooden a marble run kind of that they can build. They were always coming up with creative things and combining them in many different ways. And it was fascinating to see how they were able to get some of that piece that you saw in that Taiwan classroom, you know, that children are engaged in learning about things and making discoveries for themselves, not being addicted to iPads and screens, but actually engaging and problem solving together because that also happens. Like it's actually between six to 12, we didn't get to talk about it, but that very quiet classroom becomes very noisy because that's the age of collaboration. Um, and many Montessori classrooms just have one table per child and it's actually not true they need big tables at that age or big areas where they can spread out and do big work together um, so having collaborative things so that's it could be something that you could change in your physical environment is like really putting out things that are attractive and engaging to the children um, and you'll see a change incorporating them more in the daily life things like getting them involved in dinner but like why would they be interested in doing that instead of it seeing as a chore it's just like would you like to be in charge of choosing a recipe tonight? And like, we can go to the supermarket, we can make a list, we can make, buy all the things that you want to make and like, let them be in charge. And they'll feel like, oh, you know, I really have responsibility here. And then just respect, like when they want to talk to us, close the laptop, give them one-on-one -on -one attention. When you're, even if you're working, like people say, oh, I can't do this because I don't have the time. Like I've been a full-time, I've been working full-time, but then when I get home at three or four in the afternoon, I'd turn off all the computers. I'd try and hide the phone from myself because I can be the worst, you know, culprit. And then I'd hang out with my kids from four to seven if they needed me. And when they were off in their room doing their own thing, that was also fine. And then from eight o'clock on, I could, you know, have as much time as I wanted. But those, I just felt like that connection time, I got it back in spades with cooperation. Mm, so good. Mm -hmm. I, I just think of our boys, literally, they, they would play Lego all day long. And we actually got into an argument this weekend because we literally had to go somewhere as a family. And it was like, we give them like, hey, hey we, we're going to have to leave the house together. All of us are going to have to go. And but literally, like they get so immersed in their Lego, and we we love it. I mean, there's the, the biggest part of us absolutely loves it, and then 
and our, our family meeting that last night was actually all about transitions. So we were like, okay, well, how do we set ourselves up for success so that we can really, you know, ride this wave of being a family team and unit together so that we can all, you know, just understand there's certain times in the day where we just kind of have to do things as a family. And that means we're gonna have to remove or extract ourselves from the current thing that we're doing. But <laughs> there's so many conversations or challenges that we have in these transitions. Um, so it's just interesting. They're so immersed, right? <laughs> um, how you were saying the, the 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 mind of the six to twelve and the the project base yeah. and the cloud and doing big things. So our oldest, like I said, he's been a builder since he was one years old, and so he has a plan in his mind, and he needs that plan to come to completion. Yeah. And if we're asking him to transition before that happens, that's where the frustration shows up. So mm. we just talked about languaging around that, how he could express that, you know, I'm trying to build this thing. It's going to take me this long. So please give me X amount of time and how that could be supported for us too. So we understand what's going on in his mind as he's, mm -hmm. you know, doing his projects. So this is a really helpful conversation just to kind of bring it back to, like you were saying, those basics of connection. Cause we, as parents, you know, we have so many things that we're juggling and it's easy to get lost in the phone because now our phones are not just for communication they're work we're literally doing work on our phones and to be able to just step away from that and give them that attention and what I'm really understanding from this Montessori process is that people are learning the gift of listening and being like active listeners and being really present in that moment and I feel like that's that's the key thing that we all need and then as adults too we need that as well. And so there's so much like unlearning, I think as a society that needs to be done and then re remembering what those basics are. So thank you for bringing light to that. Yeah. But like also I love too. that process of the conversation in your family. That already was a really respectful, you know, things sometimes go wrong and then you actually get to have a conversation like, hmm, that didn't go so well. How could we do that better next time? That is totally Montessori as well because it's not just these perfect shelfies that we see on Instagram. It's like we got it wrong, we apologize, we're modeling apologizing and we work on the problem solving as well. And they're learning that process that hopefully they'll be able to take with them with their own, you know, friends and into the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely our hope. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. to redo their whole toy room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, really incorporate that because um, I think they would really um, respond to me just like having things ready for them after yeah. school and that's what they would play with because right now it's it's just the whole house is their toy room. Yeah, so. it, um, it slowly takes over each room. <laughs> their, their and you could involve them with the process as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you'd be like, oh, you know, um, I how can we make more space here rather than what can we put away? That yeah. would be a better way to frame it. So yeah, I learned that from Kim John Payne. It's like, how can we create more space here? And, oh, yeah, uh, right. and then like, yeah. so if the, you've, your son's into building, then like, where can we make some construction, you know, area for your things mm -hmm. so you can always find them um, and set that up in a way that's really accessible for them. There's actually, um, uh, I, I co-wrote the Montessori Baby with Juniper Uzadika who lives in Nigeria. And at her school, they have for the six to 12 year olds, a workshop which is where they can do work woodwork with real saws and things like that as well so if you have the space outside to actually have a workshop maybe you need a lock on it so he's not there unsupervised but actually even the three to six year old children in her school also use it um, because they learn how in Montessori we show them how to use tools even like a baby we give them a real glass and because it's much easier to use a glass than a plastic thing that falls over and they're learning to use two hands and have control of movement um, and things like that. So we give them real tools and show them how to use it. And then if they use them inappropriately, oh, it looks like you want to throw that glass. I'll put the glass up here for now. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of ways yeah. that you'll be able to make the changes with them. Yeah, that's you. really helpful. I, I, I like how you, you keep bringing examples in of just recording the behavior and recording the feeling like you said oh i noticed you're you, you like throwing this glass around let's <laughs> let's put it up here instead of what are you doing <laughs> stop throwing the glass around yeah, the reframing. yeah yeah the reframing and, and just being in the moment with them like just that observation i noticed that this is what's going on or how can we create more space for you uh the the languaging is critical and, and i can just feel my mind kind of going at this moment going how can i do this how can i implement this in a more tangible way and I guess it's just one conversation at a time mm -hmm. yeah so as we close um, I would love for you to express um, a message to children so if there was one thing that you can teach children today what would that message be uh, I just want children to be authentically themselves because I guess from the time they're born we're putting messages on them about what they should become 
And um, Montessori is about accepting every child for their unique selves. So it's really okay to show up exactly who you are when you're in my classroom, when I meet you. Um, and so I hope that the parents then learn to see you through your eyes and treat you in a way that will help you flourish in this world that we're living in together. And also to respect others um, for all their differences and their beautiful things as well, because we're all different, but that would be really boring if I spoke to you and in exactly the same way as you spoke to me, it would be really dull. So I think difference is such a beautiful part of the world. And it's sort of got a lot to do with social justice issues that are really relevant right now. So growing citizens like who are asking questions, you know, that's so important. Like you said, Dr. Sonia, that children are learning to ask questions like start young with teaching them when there's injustices, um, as they're walking down the street and there's a crack in the pavement, I learned this from Britt Hawthorne. She's an amazing anti-bias, anti-racist educator. And you see a, a path, a crack in the path. And I would normally think of nothing of it, but you could say to your child, who is, you know, actually affected by this? Who would this be difficult for? Someone, the children might say, oh, a child, someone in a wheelchair or a parent pushing a, a pushchair. Um, yeah, we should. And then not only like noticing when there's injustice, but like, what can we do about it? Well, we could write a letter to the local council and maybe they should get that fixed so that everyone can have accessibility. So raising, you know, children who will stand up for injustices as well. Mm, that's amazing. That. Thank you. Yeah, that's a beautiful blessing. Mm. Um, so just a reminder for everyone who's tuning in, uh, the, the Montessori baby is, is coming out on May 11th, which is coming up soon. Uh, the time of this release this podcast would be, you know, basically a rate in time for people to tune into that. And where, where can they, were you accessing or releasing the pre-orders? Is that on Amazon or is that, is that the best place for people to go? So people can actually order it from anywhere, which is great because they can even order it through their local bookstore or their favorite online store. And then they can upload their details um, through the publisher. And I've got all the details for that over at my website, which is themontessorinotebook.com. And if they click on the books tab, it'll take them through where they can add their pre-order details. And then they'll get these great pre-order bonuses, which includes like some checklists that they can hang on their fridge, um, including how their visitors could maybe treat their baby in a more Montessori way. Um, an observation journal, which you talked about, like how to observe these babies. There's so much that they're doing. Um, and so they can um, have these extra bonuses as well. And if not, if you miss that, if it's too late, you still get this beautiful book about, you know, treating babies with love, respect and understanding. So I hope that everyone enjoys it and there can be more Montessori babies from birth. But even if you're hearing this and your children are much older, we've talked today about lots of ways that you can um, bring Montessori into your homes, even with older children. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe. 